guys. So welcome to the Gen Z Report. I'm here with CJ and Sam, and we have a bunch of fun things to talk about tonight. So take it away, CJ. All right. Uh, so as we, again, continue figuring out what our format is, uh, today is going to be a little bit more of a uh, event session, uh, talking about something where there's a little bit less that we can do. Uh, stick till the end, as I will then give the, here's what we can do, here's what to help for. Uh, but th this is partially a vent system. Because uh, today, what we're going to be talking about is the Federalist Society. Uh, and normally, we start with what are our you know, recent news stories. But one of the major things that ends up happening when we're covering a lot of these news stories is we're talking about, hey, a federal justice just said this is happening. A federal justice has said that is happening. And that change to the laws changes how the rest of us have to live day to day. Our most recent topics uh, is we're going to be talking about uh, in, Flo in Florida today, uh, we just got restricted down to uh, six weeks. Uh, so the de facto heartbeat ban uh, on abortion. Uh, we have, of course, the dual rulings of the uh, abortion pills, and that is now going to be headed to the Supreme Court. Uh, and then for our another topic that we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about Diane Feinstein, uh, who is the uh, senator from California, I believe the oldest senator uh, currently in the state, and how she has not been able to be around for many, many votes. Uh, there, our main topic, again, is going to be the Federalist Society. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to give Sam you know, uh, the chance to talk on the things that he looked up, things he researched, uh, and then we'll go deeper into conversation. So, Sam. Yeah, um, I mean... I'm happy to go into any of those topics. I mostly researched, like I said, the the abortion ban that just passed today in Florida, the most recent six-week ban, as well as um, a little bit of history on sort of the Federalist Society and their influence on the judiciary, and then uh, all of this ongoing case with the two young black lawmakers in Tennessee that were expelled from the legislature, um, which I think is something that would be interesting to cover uh, because it relates to gun violence, but also because of the racial aspects, I think, of this case. And so um, it's all Where very current. Where should we start, guys? Yeah. So uh, for, for today, I'm planning on uh, having the uh, Tennessee lawmakers um, for our main topic of next week, uh, where we'll be talking specifically on gun violence. Uh, it is a generational issue. Why is our generation in a lot more uh, passionate about the thing that has become the highest rate of death uh, for teenagers uh, and the impacts that we've gone there, but that will be next week. Uh, so for this week, uh, I want to just talk on, again, what does the abortion pill law, the blocking of mask mandates on planes, and the blocking of student loans all have in common? And the answer is, is that these are all judges that are appointed by the Federalist Society. Another thing, or are a part of the Federalist Society, another thing that they have in common is they're all part of our conservative majority, Supreme Court, 
which is, again, all part of the Federalist Society. So what is the Federalist Society? The Federalist Society was founded in uh, 1982 uh, by students at a, the Yale Law School in Harvard and Chicago. And it was originally a student-run organization which challenged what its founding members perceived to be the orthodox American liberal ideology. Uh, the group uh, has since become a very prominent force uh, of uh, GOP-appointed judges that, again, tend to rule against the will of specifically younger generations, uh, but also tends to go against the will of the majority of the population, instead coming up with these rulings uh, that people are very much against. Uh, the This is not the channel where we can necessarily go into a super deep dive uh, on all of these uh, individuals, but I do want to open up the floor to talk about, uh, or more so again, vent on how frustrating it is to have the majority of the people that are making laws that are impacting all of us are due to elections that we cannot vote in. So Sam, how have you been with learning? Do you, have you known about the Federalist Society for a long amount of time? Was it kind of more this week? Uh, what, what have been your thoughts and initial takeaways? I've known about the Federalist Society, um, but not enough details about how they came to be. And that's what I, I, I understand. I've always kind of understood that they, in, they exert a lot of influence over the conservative judiciary, which is basically anywhere that a Republican is in the executive branch. So that could be a governor, you know, with a state Supreme Court and state courts, as well as like when there's a Republican in the White House. And um, most recently with Trump, what I learned was that 43 of his 51 federal appellate judges were vetted and approved by the Federalist Society. So the vast majority are, you know, sort of their product. And it's not even just that they're vetted by them. Um, something that I was, you know, vaguely aware of, but really learned more about was that they um, not only, you know, go over lists of, of judicial appointments with with the chief of staff, with the White House counsel, like when Trump was in office, they were interviewing Don McGahn, who was his uh, White House counsel, I believe. Um, and and they were saying that, he, you know, most of his federal appellate nominees, you know, he was sort of making like a bit of an inside joke about uh, not only are they not not only are they are they, you know, going to our hearings, it's like we have the tools, we know everything they've said, everything they've written and so on and so forth. And um, so they 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 go through what they call murder boards i guess where they uh basically prepare every nominee the federalist society's entities will sit down with the judicial nominees before they go into a confirmation hearing in the senate and 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 grill them on every possible angle and question that they might get from a legislator in order to train them exactly on the right things to say in order to get past the confirmation then if, then once they're on the bench the Federalist Society will also basically file what they call amicus briefs, which are like friend of the court um, opinions. And those uh, will be 
usually like a third party can file them on behalf of a case that's happening in order to give like an outside opinion or some sort of persuasive legal document. And so like the Federalist Society will sit down with the nominees and, you know, not only guide them on how to vote, but file these amicus briefs on the judges that they've already picked. And so uh, it essentially is a way for special interests to get every single thing that they want through the judiciary. And that's at the federal level. And I think at the state level too, to a certain amount, there's so many different um, shadow organizations that they operate under around the country that, you know, they've really become that force to be reckoned with that I don't think there is a parallel example on the left for. Um, I read about something called the American Constitution Society that is was formed after Bush v. Gore as like a way to try to counter the influence of the Federalist Society. But I don't think that they've had the same influence. Maybe Jen, from her legal background, knows a little I bit. I know, you know what? I don't know anything that has competed with this sort of right wing takeover of the judiciary. I, I haven't seen any balance to it on the left um, in any way. So, not that I'm aware of. And, and if there is, they're certainly not very effective. Right. Well, to to the point of you know on the left, uh, the main thing is is that. The reason why the Federalist Society was brought up is because the general broader public, the general actual people, the voters of America were voting for policies that the people of the Federalist Society did not like, that they wanted to preserve, that they wanted to fight back against. Uh, the you know United Coalition was simply interpreting the laws that we had passed as well as voting and lawmakers that we felt that we should bring in. Uh, and that is, again, for this, it's been a very, very frustrating thing. Um, again, every single um, vote that I've seen to my part, I will look up what is the judge's name and I'll put them in and it'll be the Federalist Society. Uh, I, Dan Kelly, which we were talking about with our Wisconsin race, which has luckily been defeated, again, also part of that Federalist Society. Um, but the the difference is like we are passing these laws that are the will of the people we are getting these things done that are the will of the people and you're very high profile no we're striking this down no we are uh subverting it is coming uh from these members and it's both hopeful because again what we want as individuals uh as a collective uh is you know in line with uh, the rest of the values. And it's these values are not the norm, which is why they need to have such an organized effort. Um, but when it, but the main part is, is that, especially back in uh, 2012, uh, where there was a major block of judges, uh, both within the Obama administration uh, from Mitch McConnell, uh, as well as the massive amount of uh, judges appointed during the Trump administration, including the three Supreme Court judges, uh, judges uh has kind of left us in this limbo state where why has it seemed that pretty much every single election that we've had has been one of the most important elections in history well the answer is because currently at least with our supreme court the judiciary is not someone who's going to be stepping in uh, the supreme court and we will have a dedicated episode for them uh further down the line but the supreme court uh has voted uh, in line of allowing for ICE uh, to be able to basically operate in all of America by expanding their borders, uh, by allowing the uh, federal employees to be able to investigate themselves for wrongdoing uh, and not being able to sue them. 
uh, we have had, of course, you know, the overturn of Roe versus Wade and all of these. And then, you know, even going back uh, a little bit further back to, you know, 2000 with uh, uh, Bush v. Gore, uh, you still had these major Federalist Society uh, lawyers and judges uh, all working together. So that is kind of our you know, background backdrop. Um, the topics, uh, you know, for so, so with that being the main thing to, that we're talking about today, uh, I then wanted to talk about kind of the uh, quote unquote smaller but more recent uh, news stories. So, first off, we have uh, the, uh, the a dual ruling uh, for an abortion pill, uh, which what this pill does is it is a hormonal pill. If you take it, uh, then the fetus will, uh, it changes your hormones and it'll basically like deplant itself. Uh, it is very good for if you have miscarriages, um, and the body has not realized it instead of, uh, feeding a dead clump of cells, cells, um, it, you can then detach it and then, uh, take a secondary pill, um, to expel it, uh, from your body. The secondary pill is much less likely uh, to be taken off as it has other uses uh, than just abortion. Uh, But we've had a case uh, from Texas uh, that said, yes, uh, the FDA needs to remove this immediately. And then we had a case from, I believe it was Washington, that said, no, the FDA can't just instantly take off a drug. Uh, They would need to go through an entire process on how to get that off. Uh, and it kind of relies within the FDA's jurisdiction. Due to this dual ruling, it's essentially forcing this uh, decision to go back up to the Supreme Court. Uh, of course, you know they did rule against uh, being able to have abortion. We will see if they also restrict access to, say, states that do allow for abortion. You know, turning it back to the states, if that states' rights um, myth is is something that they keep share to if they care to uphold so anything that you wanted to say uh kind of on the uh, abortion yeah, pills where are you guys I, uh, on that like this is so interesting because you know obviously this is new there wasn't this this didn't exist we had morning after but that was already like later like this is a whole new thing and the fact that this is being treated like surgical abortion is very interesting to me so i'm but have you guys always had this as an option like since you guys have been of an age where you've known about the birds and the bees, like have you always had this type of uh, pill option? I was not really aware of the my stone or whatever it's called, uh, and and the fact that like you can even do an abortion through a pill until I, I feel like I'd heard about it vaguely, but like until this whole debate started happening recently, I wasn't even aware that this is like a viable thing that people do. Um, I mean, I, I, I know very little about the medical uh, intricacies of, of the abortion pill. So I don't right. know. No, I'm just interested that. because it's, it's interesting to me that, I mean, not that people are trying to attack our rights. That's not interesting. That's been happening <laughs> forever. Um, just that it, it almost seems like this is such a new thing And even if it were available, I have this sort of thought that it's one of those things that's probably even hard to get if it's legal. And even if it is easy, like it's still going to be expensive. So that's what I was kind of just curious how this is being um, like marketed. Is this something that you guys are familiar with? 
Uh, I I have not uh, looked into the specifics of uh, various different like morning after pills. I'm not sure you know which one um, does that because that that's not been a particular issue. Yeah. Um, for for me and my relationships. Um, but uh, what the again big thing is is like this is a proceed. So so the big thing for me um, when it comes to again talking about this case is that this is an attempt to get rid of the pill federally. Uh, this is a, an attempt of, again, if we are going off of the you know, fake justification of let's bring it back to the states, um, then the states that allow it to exist should still be able to allow it to exist. Uh, I, I was listening actually to a uh, 538 podcast uh, earlier today that was talking about uh, this issue and this circumstance. And I believe it was, uh, you had 67% um, of Americans were in favor of keeping the pill available, uh, which is, you know, still a, that's a, that's a hefty majority. Um, sure. But again, if we're then breaking things down to, should the state of California, which allows for abortions, should the state of New York that allows for abortions and that the voters have said we want to have abortions, or even the state of Kansas that has said, despite being a, a Republican-led state, we want to keep the woman's right to choose, uh, should then a federal judge be able to come in and say, nope, you are no longer able to have access to this medication uh, for uh, the for that reason. And that is, uh, again, the main problem with doing things. It's like, if we vote for things as a collective, if we vote for things uh, together, then the idea is in a democracy, and I know republic, et cetera, but the idea is, is that if we're operating within a democracy, that we are able to actually have voices heard and to have responses. And of course, there's going to be disagreements within people, but we're going to be represented in some way. And that is where we, that's where the government derives its legitimacy. And again, this subversion is really where my biggest frustration is. Uh, if this was any other drug, if this was a weight loss drug, for example, uh, I still would be against uh, having this ban happen from the judiciary. I would, you know, if the FDA allows for it, I would still want it to be allowed. If this drug was for, um, I don't know, di diabetes, if this was just an autoimmune drug, uh, any any sort of medication, um, like I, I, I take uh, Zeljan for uh, my alopecia, uh, it's like to have any sort of medication just taken away, I think is a very, very dangerous precedent. But I don't think it's even something that, would continue to be a precedent. I think it is again being attacked because it's a pill that's being used for abortions and miscarriages, um, and I think that that is wrong. And we'll we'll have you know the the pro choice um, you know feelings toward abortion in another uh, podcast uh, episode as well. Uh, but that is my thing. So you know what was what's interesting and i remember this case i don't remember the name of the case but it was in massachusetts and this took place um oh my god it was like real, not that long after i was out of law school and basically the lawsuit was by women in massachusetts against walmart 
because Walmart pharmacies were refusing to carry the morning after pill, the plan, the plan B was, I think that's what it was at the time was called. Plan B. Mm -hmm. um, and the court actually uh, ruled against Walmart. And it was, it was a really nice win at that time. And I remember being very pleasantly surprised. Back when courts would do that. Yeah. That, well, and that Walmart was forced because here was, here was the rub, CJ. And this is an interesting tactic that like people have used. When you're the only game in town, which is what happens with Walmart, they'll move in somewhere, get rid of all the locals. There'll be no more small pharmacy. All there'll be is a Walmart. And so mm -hmm. if you're putting yourself out there as a public service in the capacity of pharmaceuticals or something that's in that realm, then you really are not. And this was the court's ruling. Then you do not get to pick and choose what you carry. If it's a legal product, you get to carry it. Uh, like you have to have it available. And I thought that was really interesting, but that really goes to show you how things have changed in even just the past, I want to say 20 years. Sure. And, and again, the other thing to, to mention on this is that we had a dual ruling from two different courts, uh, but like two different federal judges on the same level. Uh, there is um, within the span of um, Biden within his first year, has appointed more federal judges than Trump did even during his first year, uh, despite the amount of vacancies. Uh, but one of the things that's been slowing him down, and this is another uh, news story today that I've talked about, is been uh, with Diane Feinstein, uh, uh, who she is uh, the uh, she is a senator uh, from California. Uh, she is at the ripe old age of eighty nine. Uh, she has been having um, some pretty moderate to major uh, health issues and thus has missed, I believe it's been 200 days of uh, voting. Every single day that she has voting, and she's on the uh, Federal Judiciary Committee, uh, every single day that she has missed has been a day where they cannot take place, voting, uh, sorry, voting cannot take place on these judges. Um, and then there has been a lot of calls for her to resign because of this, because we have learned of how important these judges can be. Um, the, right, they weren't really calling on her to resign that much before, mind you. She's been, by the, from, from what we've heard, just so you guys are aware, she's been in this sort of mental state that she's in for a couple of sessions now. Mm -hmm. Like yep. it's been a couple of sessions now where she has not been mentally all there and her colleagues have pointed it out. They're well aware of it and they all just pretend it's not happening, I guess. She she's not running again, right? That's no, correct. She she will not be running. There will be a new senator from California in the 2024 uh, session. Yes, we'll um, we'll we'll have it. We'll definitely have a show where we talk about that race because it isn't. It's turning out to be somewhat interesting. Yeah, I understand. Like Katie Porter is the big uh, progressive in that. Well, one. she is, and then the thing is, is that then Barbara Lee got in the race, and so you know that kind of. I don't know between her, those two and Adam Schiff. It, to me, I worry that the two of them will sort of split that, that sort yeah. of Southern yeah. California, that Southern California, more female centric. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens. In that. I, I think Lee and Porter need to pick somebody and just, and so, and consolidate that vote. You can't have both. It's going to, well, if only there was a system that could be implemented well, so that way you could primary. vote. Well, they use jungle primary and I like that, you know, I mean, it's yeah. not as good as ranked choice voting, mm -hmm. but it's, it's at least, it's at least better than, than closed primaries we have. 
Well, I I I, I was uh, specifically getting at the rank choice voting of. You know, if only, if only there was a way, uh, which interestingly enough, uh, ranked choice voting has been uh, banned both in uh, Florida and uh, California. Banned? What do you mean mm-hmm. banned? How do you ban? Uh, as in, well, the DNC, uh, I believe, is not using it. Um, I don't think it's like banned by this. We state. need to, honestly, that it, ranked choice voting is one of those things that is just very, very ripe to be ballot initiatives, at least in all the states that offer ballot oh, initiatives. Oh, actually, never mind. Uh, it got, uh, it failed in California. That was well, my bad. What's the state uh, that has ranked choice? Oregon? Or somebody has. Three states. It's Alaska, it's mm-hmm. Oregon, and I want to say Maine. Maine, I know, yeah. has it because we actually had a candidate on, Lisa Savage, that was a Green Party candidate running in Maine. And the fact that she that they have ranked choice voting allowed her to get more than 5%, um, which I know is small potatoes. But it's it's still a step in the right direction, nonetheless, right? Like, it's still... <laughs> it's still it's still supportive of the concept of third parties. It's, yeah. it's forward motion. Okay, yeah, so that, that that's my bad. There was a bill that uh, was proposed to ban uh, vo- ranked choice voting in California that failed. Uh, in Florida, it did pass. Um, to, no but I want to know what that means that you ban it. Like, I need to know what the language of that so is. That, like, I guess the county and their vote can't uh, use a ranked choice ballot, maybe, on their, on their generic ballot. Like, they have to provide a... Well, you're, so then you're saying, okay, because prohibiting the use of ranked choice voting to determine an election or nomination to elective office, uh, avoiding uh, existing or future local ordinances authorizing the use of ranked choice voting. Okay, so basically what that says to me is this they is are baiting us into having a statewide ballot initiative in this. I find that infuriating. The, the government's job should not be to ban things. Like that shouldn't even be, that shouldn't be, like, why would you have to ban something that uh, doesn't exist? I was about to say, uh, the the government, if we're talking like specifically on the EPA and like certain substances, like there's that. The thing that doesn't even exist, that's what I'm saying. Florida's all about, we love our preemption, right? I mean, they they love to preemptively ban everything in the state legislature. That's the thing. And we'll we'll definitely uh, still have the uh, Florida episode, but... Again, uh, to bring things back, uh, I, I so Federalist Society, bad. Abortion pills, bad. bad. <laughs> Diane uh, Feinstein, uh, bad. she, so she, well, she, uh, I mean, pride, it's been unfortunate. Uh, the, but the upside is, is that due to, again, a lot of people and a lot of political pressure from the voters coming in and saying, hey, we need to do something about this because this is a really, really, really important issue. We have gotten some ground, which is she is uh, supposedly going to be having a temporary, a temporary, we'll see how temporary it is, but a temporary committee. We'll see what happens. Committee replacement uh, on for her for the Judiciary Committee. And that is why it is important to never lose hope when we're talking about these things. It is important to, you know, not only let other people know what's going on, let people know what's happening, but to then raise our voices and say, hey, we want this thing to happen. And there are circumstances where you are able to be listened to, where you are able to be heard, where you are able to impact policies, not necessarily you as the individual, but you as the collective with you plus 10 friends or you plus 10 associates uh, coming in. And and also uh, to uh, respond to the comments, like, yes, I, I would... Um, you know, prefer for her to resign. Um, 
I think that again, many, many people would, uh, but at least six years ago, but this, but this is, this is progress. And to my knowledge, this is something that like started really, really, uh, becoming high pressure, uh, as of basically it's been a, a low pressure thing for years, but it's been a high pressure thing for about a week and a half. And again, to have any sort of progress, I, I think is good. Yeah. So shout out to Congressman Ro Khanna. Yep. Um, apparently, from what I'm seeing, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. He was the person who publicly has called for her to step aside. I, I'm not familiar enough with the specific okay. individual. Is that, so, yeah, that my understanding is that it was Congressman Khanna. Yeah. And we've actually, we've had him on our show before. So I could say friend nice. of the show, Congressman Rokana, right. um, and you know, it's definitely the right move. You know, it doesn't put them in a strong position to have someone like that. Go ahead, Sam. No, it's, it's, I'm just saying like, it's not only that, that she's, you know, in the cognitive state that she is at the age that she is, but it's, it's also that she represents the most people of any senator. Uh, yep. You know, California is the most populous state by far, and most um, disenfranchised. My hometown. Yeah. So it's like it's it's a it's like the triple whammy. She's not just eighty nine. She's not just you know losing her marbles. She's also representing forty million people. It, it's just so unfair to the to the people. And meanwhile, like. I don't know, some cowboy in Wyoming gets 40 times more representation from like, you know, somebody who's probably getting a lot more done on these judges on all this stuff, you know? And so uh, the disparity is just mind boggling. And and to comment on that, uh, again, I'm originally from uh, Los Angeles. I, I, I grew up um, born through 18, all, all within the California borders. And when my uh, political, I guess, activation, my my political awareness, uh, I, it was something where I was aware of the things that were happening, um, but I was not able to vote in the 2016 election, barely. I'm not going to you know, be doxing myself with my birthday, but um, I, I was not I able to your vote. Birthday. I'm yeah. very well aware of your birthday. But, uh, but I, I, I was uh, not able to vote in the uh, 2016 election. But even if I could have, uh, I know at the time my opinion was I would vote for Gary Johnson. Why? Because he was the third party that's going to get the most amount of votes. And I knew that uh, my vote as a Californian in the general election did not matter. If yeah. I vote, If I could have voted and I could have voted... Like, like if I could have voted and it actually mattered, like that, that was actually part of one of the reasons why I uh, came to Florida was to have a little bit of more voting power, to be able to have a little bit more voting representation uh, and have a little bit more impact because I knew I'm like, yeah, in California, you're disenfranchised. You can go for these things. And I, and I still did um, you know, vote um, in 2018. Uh, I still was, you know, aware of these things. I still asked for these things. I still spread awareness of issues. Um, but it, it was a lot of um, feeling of disenfranchisement. Now, I've since learned the importance of local elections. I've since learned, you know, all the way down to, hey, uh, like in, in my county, there was uh, the difference uh for this is our school board we had a a candidate that was part of the moms of liberty 
which believes that LGBT students should be treated as if they have a, a mental disorder and I'm have separate sure we have education. one of those in our school board. Isn't that um, Sam? Brenda Pham is like in that group, isn't she? She's like in that. She's one of those that like is convinced that they're grooming yeah. our children to be gay. I know so, that there was somebody like that elected. I don't know who it is. Yeah, we so, have one of those, CJ. So there was uh, the Moms of Liberty candidate, and this was in the primaries. Uh, there was uh, someone that was uh, part of uh, QAnon. Uh, and then there was someone who was not either of those two things. Um, the Moms of Liberty candidate lost in the primary. And then in the general, uh, the person that was not the either of those two things uh, lost by 300 votes. Um, this was... Within the the area, there was over ten thousand votes that were cast, um, and in the the down the ballot, people just didn't know; they didn't really care enough. And that, if it, there was just a little bit more awareness, could have you know changed things. And then, because of that, it's a lot harder uh, for the teachers that are in this county. Uh, it's a lot harder for the teachers that are in this area to get the support because they're. Uh, person is trying to ban critical race theory um, when it wasn't being taught. And those elections do absolutely matter. Uh, and that that is, you know, again, talking on the federal society. So how do, how do we counter it? Well, some states, you vote on your judges. Vote on your judges and see what their affiliations are. In some states, you have, again, what is your, your local elections? What are the minor things that you can do to have a little bit of additional power? Do those things. And then the next part is, if you're voting in those things, look into what is your current local areas. Look into, you know, is there is there a political action committee that is within your county there probably is. There's probably one within, unless you're in the middle of nowhere, 10 miles to 15 miles away max. And you can go and you can show up and you can then talk with those people because those areas are the boots in the ground areas that start, how do we get a judge in the first place? How do you figure out who's going to be voting on someone? So if you're looking at your primary candidates and you're like, why are our primary candidates trash? Well, that is where it starts. Look there first and then speak on things. Then from there, you have your candidates, of course, vote in your primaries. You have people who are not voting in the primaries. See if you can do that. If you haven't voted in the primaries before, you know, just do another step. Try look into voting in those primaries. And then if you haven't voted in the general, you know, make sure you're voting in the general. And if you haven't done that, just try to vote in the general and look at what is being voted on in the general. The more you look at these things, the more you're able to change things. So back to the Federalist Society. It's founded in 1982. It took four decades for that. Well, it, really, realistically, three decades. But it took them decades to be able to grow, to be able to be at this level of prominence, to have the amount of power that they've had. And yet, there still is this immense amount of pushback to the things that they do. The Especially Roe versus Wade, what happened is, guess what? It got shot down. And in every single election where Roe versus Wade has been on the ballot, it has come in the favor of the women. It has come in the favor of the people. We have made our voices heard. 
and we continue to vote back. So that yeah. is kind of my big things. And Sam, if you have more that you want to say, more that you want to chime in, go ahead. Well, something that I was kind of interested in when I found out about the history of the Federalist Society was, yeah, like like you said, it was founded in 1982 by a bunch of law students at <laughs> Yale, Harvard, and U Chicago. Um, but now they're represented at over 200 law schools. And I guess they claim, right, in their academic context that their guiding principle is to emulate Federalist Paper 78, which was written by Alexander Hamilton. And that is all relates to this concept of judicial restraint and like the textualist and and um and originalist like interpretation of the constitution so they cite that federalist paper 78 where hamilton wrote it can be of no weight to say that the courts on the pretense of a repugnancy may substitute their own pleasure to the constitutional intentions of the legislature the courts must declare the sense of the law and if they should be deposed to exercise will instead of judgment the consequence would equally be the substitution of their pleasure to that of legislative body which is a bunch of, you know, 1700s way of saying um, that they believe in a literal interpretation of the clauses of the Constitution, that it's not open to, uh, you know, when they say originalist, like the, an original interpretation that's not open to a modern um, adaptation on on the the constitutional amendments and uh, things like the Second Amendment, which are, you know, a very big thing in the courts. Um, but honestly, all of them. And so, you know, I was really interested to to see that, like, okay, that's their their guiding principle is this idea of like an 18th century federalism. But then it's, you know, they they've taken that and maybe they do that in their academic context where they have these panels and they have a lot of like um, podcasts that they produce and they produce like memos and host Supreme Court justices and things like that. And, and and that's all under the pretense of these of these ideological values. But then really, I think behind the scenes of all of that is a much more special interest oriented like organization that is not so much, you know, I, I really don't think that they care about those about those values as much as they can add a, a you know, like contort that to make it sound like they're their uh whatever meets their narrative or whatever their stated goal is but reality is it's like everyone that they're choosing is because some donor to either their organization through like all of these shadow groups that they have um which i can talk a little bit about because i i read about like all these different like shadow entities that they have uh which uh, some of which are called like the donors trust and which is like a a big like over uh, an overarching um, organization that takes a lot of money from like the Koch brothers are the largest donors. It says the Mercer family foundation who are like the founders of Breitbart is one of the largest donors, the Linda and Harry Bradley foundation, all these organizations that are part of like what donate to these organ to, to donors trust to this thing called the judicial crisis network, which is a 501 C four um, that spent $7 million blocking Merrick Garland's confirmation and another $10 million boosting Neil Gorsuch, uh, who was his, his replacement when he didn't get selected for the Supreme court. Um, all these different, all these different cases. And then all these federal appellate judges that they've picked that are able to rule on things like methane emissions. And uh, when like Scott Pruitt was in charge of the EPA, there's just so many uh, little cases that they that they've had a hand in either from filing briefs or from like picking the judge that decided it and so i just find that to be 
so interesting that under the guise of this, you know, ideological adherence to the Federalist Papers, really, it's just all about whatever the corporate donors want. Yeah. And, and another thing uh, in the context of uh, the uh, originalist uh, interpretation is in America, specifically New England, the right to an abortion was available from uh, 1650 to 1850 uh, in the United States. And so if you're going again on the route of, oh, well, this is what the founders would have attended. This is this or that or that or that or that. It's like, yeah, it just so happens that the founders interpretation happens to be whatever interpretation that they come up with uh, at the time. Um, and then again, where where my kind of hope is, where my bright side is on this is the in order to fight against all of these different things, it is the will of the people versus millions and millions of dollars. And again, you could argue that, you know, those millions and millions of dollars are paying dividends and making money and increasing outrage. And that is absolutely something that that is affecting us. But that is, again, all in an effort to go against what is what we are doing, which is our generation being more aware our generation being more active, our generation not being as susceptible to just a certain uh, broadcast station or two. You, of course, have, uh, again, and this is why we kicked off with our first episode, talking about media literacy. You, of course, have you know very prominent figures um, that are on YouTube, that are on these different social medias uh, that create very, very negative and toxic ideas. And that is still very, very prevalent, but it is a lot more fragmented, is a lot more fractured, and we as a whole are resisting more and more and more. Our generation is, again, becoming a lot more ingrained with other people. And, and this is another thing that we'll be talking about in another episode, is uh, after we go on our, uh, hey, this is why we care so much about gun uh, rights, uh, at some point we're going to also be having a, hey, what's it like that we grew up as the generation that is the first generation to not have homophobia like directly legalized and talking about those things? But though all of this forward progress is very hard to restrict rights once they're out. And what we have been seeing, again, with this abortion ruling, what we have been seeing with this uh, kind of overstepping and trouncing on the rights that we have fought for and earned in the past from our forefathers is people are not very tolerant of that. And you are seeing a lot more voting and engagement. So. Well, that thing about rights and how it's hard to turn them back. I, you know, I, I listened to you guys discuss with Harvey K the concept of uh, advancing the unions wanting to not just protect the existing rights, but to create like a new economic bill of rights. And um, I, I would love to think that that is the case, but I feel like the last year, especially, has just proven how how easy it is in some cases to actually. I mean, they overturned Roe v. Wade. That was precedent for fifty years. They 
are rolling back the clock here in Florida every day on books that we used to be able to read, on bathrooms that people could go into, on um, abortions that they used to be able to have. I, it, it really is very easy, in some cases, much faster to overturn a lot of these rights than to uh, enact them in the first place. And I just want to give like one example of the Federalist Society that I found on the um, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse back in 2019 when under the Trump administration, um, there was a, a, a Senate confirmation to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which is a very influential federal appellate court. Um, a lot of that court ends up, you know, a lot of those judges end up on the Supreme Court. Um, so they confirmed a judge named Naomi Rao, and she apparently had never been a judge before, but this was her first time being up for the very high federal appellate court. And she, uh, her biography only seems to appear within the Federalist Society website 26 times, uh, which is to say that she was somebody who was like deeply ensconced in the, in the Federalist Society's back room deals and all that. And um, she, she had never been a judge, never tried a case, but she was the Trump administration's point person for tearing down federal regulations as the head of the White House's Office of Information and Regulatory Affairs. So uh, one of those big things was uh, driving back, was under Scott Pruitt on the EPA, driving back methane regulations from the oil and gas industry. And um, so that was, and she founded at George Mason uh, at the Antonin Scalia Law School, something called the Center for the Study of the Administrative State, which is basically a think tank dedicated to figuring out ways to roll back more regulations. And so she was not only uh, not only went before a confirmation hearing, but was confirmed to the D.C. Court of Appeals, I believe, um, under Trump. And she was a big Federalist Society person, despite having no judicial experience. And one of her cases that um, that I guess wasn't before her, but was before that court was something called Kaiser versus uh, Kieser versus Wilkie. Um, oh, it's before the Supreme Court. Sorry. And it's basically about some administrative law. It's very obscure. But what it is, it, what it was, was a way for the agencies to be able to engage more in, I guess, something that they call agency non-acquiescence, which is something that AOC was talking about um, with on CNN this week about the ruling for the abortion pill. Like she was basically saying, I think on on the on the interview, like, well, the Biden administration could just ignore the ruling. There's precedent for that. When you go back to like FDR and the New Deal, uh, was agency non-acquiescence, where like the executive agency doesn't have to follow the court ruling if the court, you know, if it's something that I guess they deem goes again. So they were saying like, there's also <laughs> that's a very dangerous precedent. <laughs> well, it can be, yeah, but but something I mean, about the trail of tears and yeah, exactly. But when you're but when you're talking about judicial tyranny, like what we're, you know, what we're living with, I think that there's more and more states and, and, and agencies are going to have to look at that because, you know, otherwise we're going to be, I mean, we literally are going to be going back to 50 years, a hundred years on some of these, you know, basic rights for, for abortion. And, and even just some of these other cases of, uh, like, like this case on, on the administrative law doc. So that, like that case was, was basically going to give the, the federal agencies like the EPA, the Department of Labor, Securities and Exchange Commission, it was going to take away all of their power to enact regulations on. And, and you know, of course, that was something that she was behind. And that's just one example of, of you know, maybe Biden's in office now. And, and so the Federalist Society won't have as much influence over the federal judges. But as soon as Republican gets back in the White House, it's going to be the same thing. And, and Biden's not confirmed nearly as many federal judges as Trump did. So lots to look at. 
Yeah. Uh, and again, just uh, you know, to, to give a little, you know, something that's not abortion. If you're, if you're on the route of, okay, you know, I, I think that forced birth is the way to go. Um, then the, another thing was, Hey, we're going to be restricting your ability to enact, uh, any sort of gun control. Uh, I forget which state it was, uh, but they had a bump stock ban, uh, in place and the, judiciary came in and said nope not allowed and then of course the other big thing uh for you know our generation of what we were advocating for was the student loans where hey the executive branch which has control over can we give forgiveness for these things we have the student loan forgiveness great passed i'm in line to get it awesome um and guess what too bad uh you you need to you know, just have it maybe go to the Supreme Court, maybe not, and have it be blocked. Again, these policies, these campaign promises that have been brought in for the will of the people, that is the reason why that they're voting in. Too bad. Uh, and so, yes, it, it is absolutely, again, a, a difficult issue. So then, you know, what, what are our ways out of it? Uh, you have constitutional crisis, you know, Executive branch says, yeah, we're not going to be listening to the judges. Very dangerous precedent, unfortunate. Other thing, we go and we have a two-thirds majority, which I'm sure is... My, charger. my computer's about to die, yeah, sorry. Uh, we, we have a two-thirds majority, <laughs> and we go and we vote in, you know, more and more uh, you know, senators until we have enough to actually start impeaching people or expand the court. Uh, reduce the power um, with kind of extra legal ways. Uh, then there is, you know, is Cal, then you have the other solution, which is, you know, is California very nervous about losing abortion rights? No. Is New York concerned about losing abortion rights? No. And that is because the people there consistently have voted to enshrine and protect these laws. And that has been a you know result of in-state races. Um, so that there, what, what again, for any viewer that's coming in, for anyone that's watching, for anyone, I, the big thing is just continue to vote. I know it's exhausting. Continue to vote, but just, there are always more that we can do. There's always more that we can spread. I have to just say to CJ, metalopoly, nobody's taking away your guns. Nobody's talking about taking away your guns, okay? Yeah. I would just like you to be as just as concerned with, like, I don't know, my bodily autonomy as your right to hold a handgun. That's all. And again, I'm we'll be doing uh, gun, gun, gun control next week, hopefully. Yeah. Assuming... And, and I, I just want to respond to his because um, I know we have this little party going on in the comment section. And I just want to respond to his question. Those about, are our regulars, by the way. He's don't mind them. Like these are yeah. these have a very wide array. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. And I want to respond that I do not trust the government so much. Uh, yeah. The way it, like he, he it, it, this is not about trusting the government. This is about in, enabling certain government agencies to use the power that we've given them to to protect us from other types of government like the judicial tyranny it's not it's not about government per no, se no his idea is that if you are so adamant about getting rid of the guns then you must trust your government because the whole point of the second amendment is to protect us uh from tyranny 
And so that's when, when you talk to Second Amendment enthusiasts, uh, that's sort of their concept is that they need guns in case the government gets all uppity. Metalopoly, the government has nukes and drones. Yeah, I don't know if your handgun is going to do very much about... Uh, it know, isn't. And, and I, so again, th- this will be uh, for, for next week because I, yeah. I, 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 I personally, you know, when, when people are like, you know, not taking away guns, I, I want things that are you know more safe and I, I i want to go in to hey here's comparative countries uh and their going on going ownership and how they operate things um they just uh, say I, those I, countries don't have the second amendment so so well well it's uh I, I forget if it's switzerland or sweden that has i think it's switzerland has or maybe finland that has the like second highest per capita gun ownership rate. Uh, but it's because it is ex military. You're allowed to keep your guns and talking about those, you know, circumstances. Uh, but I, I'm of course going to be, uh, but I, I want to be talking about, okay, what is the pros that we have? You know, what do we gain? Uh, and then what is the negatives of effects? Um, again, I am biased toward the, again, very prominent part of number one, killer of us when it comes to teens and also even for the people that are not dying uh you know the trauma of having to go through school shooter drills throughout high school and college where we are supposed to be safe and learning and the effects that it has on us Uh, but that is something that i need to go to get my more resources on more things on um to come to us for next week uh okay. but yeah uh for this you know we're 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 good to wrap up uh are there any other so closing that's thoughts for next week sam are you i mean you're 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 up for next week i think that the, look you guys we're all gonna have very different takes on the gun issue and and your generation it's definitely your you guys are like ptsd front and center with it so um it's interesting but i mean is that good because i'm i'm totally good with that and then just have everybody bring some current events I like focusing on the thing, like focusing on Federalist Society and then focusing like on that. the gun. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. The, and, and maybe we can relate it to the Tennessee lawmaker issue because I know we didn't really get to that. Um, well, yes, yeah, the Tennessee lawmaker, they're, the reason why they got it. Okay. The reason that they got expelled was due to being young, aspiring black men who were Democrats and they were able to, like th- th- that, that part was definitely a thing with the one vote showed for the white one. But outside of that, the, the, reason why they got expelled the official reason was on protesting the uh or, or protesting for actually a, allowing for gun control legislation again because of the most recent shooting that happened again where we have more than one shooting than there are days you and know again. what's what's interesting about this to me and you guys got to look this up when we're, we're going to be talking guns next week so this is something that's very interesting as a person of history so traditionally when you see young black men that are speaking up, speaking truth to power, and they're inspired, it's the ones that are usually talking about firearms, that those are the ones that get shut down the fastest. You're talking about you want weapons, you want to have all this stuff. And yet here we have two men talking about restricting that, and they're yep. still slammed down. So I just, I think that's very like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you look historically, you talk about people like a Malcolm X or, or the black Panthers Panthers, and tie them to this violent uprising and oh, that, you know, and now you've got the exact opposite and still 
treated in the same manner and being like totally discounted. I don't know. I just thought that it's like- Yeah, there's there's a lot that we'll have for for next week. Definitely more of an hour. I I know- On that side- <laughs> I, I know for this this episode it was a lot more dense a lot more hay talking on these things uh the the main reason again i want to bring this up uh is because there are going to be a lot more current events that we cover that is going to be judge has just revoked this thing and i will make it a point to point out this judge was or was not part of the federalist society so that way you too can figure out Oh, yeah, this is a thing. But I just wanted to get this episode out early. And then if anyone else has any other things that they want to bring in of information, what we can do about it, I'm totally up for ideas. Because outside of voting in every special election, voting in every general election, and just keeping you guys updated with what is going on, so you can maybe vote in your most recent election, yeah, great. Yeah, uh, yeah that's that's what I have for today. How would you feel? I might be able to get like I'm trying to the person who to me speaks the best on this and does the best kind of ideas about realistic things, not just saying ban this, do that. Like, is Bo of the Fifth Column? And anyone who follows me know I'm like I love Bo the Fifth Column. He's been on my show before. He did a three part series on um, guns. Uh, he's extremely knowledgeable on this and is common sense, but also very much speaks to the audience that is much more Second Amendment and libertarian. So it's a really good, I mean, if, if for whatever reason I were able to get him to come on and talk for a bit, would you guys be cool with that? Totally. Okay. Sure. Um, he's, like, he's like the gun. I mean, like this is somebody who really knows like every, like yeah. knows guns. So, so, but again, just for uh, wrapping up the podcast, Sam, do you have any uh, other closing statements? Anything that you want to? Well, I just want to say to Metalopoly, since he's mad that they brought a bullhorn into the state house. Um, how do you feel about January sixth, my friend? Uh, our, you know, I, I, he's got the military coming after him. I guess he really thinks he's very important. But, uh... <laughs> Metalopoly, be nice to the kids. Be nice to the kids. Well, this is to. To, to I mean again on we'll we'll, we'll be talking uh, yeah. a lot more on that uh, the false equivalency I definitely plan on talking about but that is going to be a you know next week conversation but Federalist Society anything else any messages to the people um, I think I'm I'm good so yeah Metalopoly bring it next week bring it so we're gonna, do, we're, gonna do, for you. we're gonna do the guns issue with Tennessee that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. So yes. Uh, ne- next week, our our main thing is we're going to be talking about uh, mainly our generation on uh, gun control. Uh, hey, how we have all had to go through school shooting drills and the various ages of which that had started. Uh, because uh, th- this came to be a realization for me. And again, well, this will be the beginning of next week. Of um, if you're over thirty, you've never had to experience it before. And just talking on that difference, but yeah, that's a, that's everything for me. And uh, you know, thank you everyone for joining. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you know, Excellent. like, comment, subscribe, Absolutely. Uh, do the YouTube things, feed the algorithm, allow us to grow, share if you want. We'll maybe get a snippet later, and we'll have peace. some clips from this. But thanks, guys, for for joining. Next week, we'll be back. Same. Um, we'll have both of these guys. We'll have some new people and maybe we won't even have to have me. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, guys. Good night for now. Thank you.
Thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.